Let's look to our Lord in prayer. Now, Father, what we want to do in the days that signify that we've inched a little further into the depths of summer, and now we're entering into increasing amounts of transition, students getting away, heading off back to colleges, teachers intensifying final preparations, getting away, getting ready for fall semesters. All students beginning to collect their items and thinking about what's ahead. And parents thinking about the shifts and the transitions of life. We thank you that you're the constant in the midst of all these variables. Apostle John saw the changes as well in the time in which he wrote. And we can understand a little better, Father, of what his teachings are all about when we relate them directly to our everyday experiences, which is what we're about here this morning. So, Father, these minutes you give us together are important, special, Lord's Day experiences. We want truth to penetrate each and every aspect of our, of our lives. So the minutes you give us to be together, it's our prayer once again that you would warm these hearts, that you would engage these minds, that you would shape these wills. As again, Father, we've come here now to see Jesus and him only. We're praying these things again now in Jesus' name. Amen. He was and is one of the wisest pastors I've ever had the privilege of knowing. He was my senior pastor. He was a professor. Warren Wearsby took his pulpit on a given Sunday, and what he said at the beginning of that message still resonates within my thought processes today. He looked out over the crowd at the Moody Church, and began with these words. Truth without love is brutality. Love without truth is hypocrisy. But truth combined with love is real Christianity. It was so powerful you could have heard a pin drop. Truth without love is brutality. Love without truth is hypocrisy. Truth combined with love is real Christianity. It's that combination that seems to capture our attention when we look at these opening verses in 2 John. You're going to see that combination in verse 1. The elder to the elect lady and her children whom I love in truth. You're going to see it at the end of verse 3. Where grace, mercy, and peace will be with us from God the Father and from Jesus Christ the Father's Son. In truth and love. What I want to do with you this morning, where we find ourselves as families, as single people, 
as we see students now prepping for fall, is to try to relate truth in the terms of the transitions in which we are facing so that we're better equipped individually and as families, single, married, whatever, to be able to apply God's word to our lives. Bearing in mind that truth without love is brutality, love without truth, hypocrisy, but truth combined with love, real Christianity. We dig in and we look at the first of three significant aspects of this combination, starting in verse 1, which reads, The elder to the elect lady and her children, whom I love in truth. And not only I, but also all who know the truth. We'll stop right there and camp on it for a minute. Because here's your first aspect of this combination effect. The number one, truth expressed in love distinguishes the family of believers. This is our distinguishing feature. The mark that separates you from the rest of the culture. It all begins with this opening statement that captures our attention It's almost as if he wants to go anonymous in the wider Roman culture. But this man, this writer, is known in evangelical church circles. He's known as the elder. And what gets our attention in the original language to start with is that the word elder is the Greek word presbyteros. We get the word presbyterian from it. The presbyteros... It carried within the day and age in which John wrote as someone advanced in years who had authority. Someone advanced in years who had authority. Now you've heard me say before, if you've been around it a little bit, that it's possible to grow old in the Lord and not grow up in the Lord. The Apostle John has done both. He's reaching the age of 90 at this point. As he's reaching the age of 90, he has experience in life, but he has experience with God in life. The challenge is that too many people have experience with life without God. What he does is that he brings his experience with God to life. Do you? People need to understand how you relate truth to life, not how merely you relate to truth. They don't want to understand something about relevance. They want to see how this connects. I'm trying to make sense of the transitions that life has brought me through, but we've got to understand that God puts us in transitions so that truth can shine brightly. He is the presbyteros here. He has seen a lot. He's able to grow old and grow up simultaneously. So should we. Now, the same wording is used in his introduction in the third John, where in the very same verse, verse 1, the elder. The elder to the beloved Gaius, whom I love in truth. Sound familiar? 
So now he is positioning himself in such a way to capture attention, and he didn't even have to use, utilize his name because people knew. When we're talking about the elder here, we're talking about the Apostle John. But with that position of authority, likewise, there is this personal relationship that's unfolding in front of us. They know who he is. The next phrase here, once we're told that this is the elder, we're asking, to whom is he writing? And now your commentators are going to split. And some of them are going to say that this has to do with a certain lady. And then there are others that are going to say, well, whoever this anonymous lady is, this has to do with the local churches that the Apostle John has established. Now, if you bear in mind in Revelation 2 and 3 that there was a postal route or route, depending upon where you come from, and those seven churches in Revelation chapter 2 and chapter 3 were receiving truths regarding the book of Revelation that God had given to the Apostle John when he had been transitioned to the Isle of Patmos. I take it that the elect lady here is one of those churches. At this point, the Apostle John is writing from Ephesus, modern-day Turkey, and he is writing to the elect lady, a particular church, and as he does so, there's something on his mind that's going to come out in Second John and Third John. And what's on his mind, I've tried to put out in our insert this morning, well, I wrote that the purpose of 2 John, 3 John as well, was to protect churches from false teachers who'd gone out. Possibly from John's own church in Ephesus, you see. And began to distort the gospel because as John stated in 1 John chapter 2 and in verse 19, they went out from us, but they were not of us. So it's not possible for you to traffic in the religious crowd. And they, they're with us. But they're not of us. They haven't experienced that new birth. But they have some kind of religious pedigree. The elder here, the presbyteros, to this elect lady, which at this point I take as a local church, and what captures my attention next is that some of the members that he is talking about in this church, her children. I began to do a search on this word throughout a Greek literature, and the Greek word here, technia, was a word which was used to describe medical pediatrics. The way in which somebody in the pediatric realm was caring for the newborns of this world. I then think about Dr. John Dorsey, who's in his 90s. And a newspaper, the Detroit Free Press, tells us, Dr. Dorsey, his career in medicine began when doctors were still making house calls before the advent of the measles vaccine and the pacemaker, when polio epidemics maimed and killed thousands. In his six decades in medicine, Dr. Dorsey has seen almost everything. 
He's delivered babies, performed spinal taps and blood transfusions, met patients at his office in Bingham Farms after hours to stitch up gashes, dole out prescriptions, and he has just turned 90 and he is still at it. An early advocate for the need for infant cost seat laws. He also has been deeply involved in establishing programs for people from overseas. Some of my first patients are entering their 60s now, he said. As a pediatrician, sometimes I'll get three generations of families because of my age, instead of just two. There's nothing more helpful than watching a family start. Sometimes they'll come in with pediatric issues, developmental issues that I might have seen in a conference, but I've got mileage that no one else has. I've seen them before, their families. And I could see things unfolding and unfolding and unfolding. It's a real quality of diagnosis just by length of exposure. And I read the text, and I read about a man who is performing surgeries and providing medical care before there was such a thing as text. And we bridge the past with the present and on into the future. And now what we see is that, no, not a Dr. Dorsey, but this elder, the presbyterus, the elder at this point, is offering spiritual pediatric care because he utilizes the same Greek word which was used in Hippocratic medicine in that day and age. The technia, the little children. And what captures my attention all the more is that Jesus himself in that upper room seems as though the Apostle John, decades later, still can't get away from that upper room. Recall how in John chapter 13, verse 33, little children, Jesus said this. John quotes him. Little children... Yet a little while I'm with you, and you'll seek me. And and just as I said to the Jews, so now I also say to you, where I am going, you cannot come. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. This gets repeated now in a different form. In this opening verse, the presbyteros, the presbyteros to the kyria, the elect lady, and the technia, spiritual pediatrics, Hippocratic medicine would nod the head at this point, but this is the spiritual pediatric element of it all, her children. But now notice what comes next here. You see it? Stands out. We've italicized it, whom I love. But it doesn't stop there, does it? Whom I love in truth. Now, when we drop truth at this point in this culture, then love is equated with absolute tolerance. And they can get confused and blended together. We hear 
free church believe in absolute truth and relative tolerance, not absolute tolerance and relative truth. So how do you apply truth in the realm of tolerance? And the answer is with love. With a sacrificial love of the cross of Jesus Christ, the agape love, where Jesus, the sinless one, died in our place, the sinful ones, the one who is the truth. I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father but through me. So believers understand the relationship of truth and tolerance in the role and the realm of transition, but tied in a way that makes sense to a person who's trying to determine and understand the significance of the changing times, but we present changeless truths in changing times in a way that resonates with hearts in this day and in this age. And here's a man who's around 90, and he gets it. He gets it. And so now he is communicating this, the elder, the presbyteros, to the elect lady, the Kyria, and her children, the technia. But notice this is highly personal at this point. If you were reading from the original language, it's almost as if you could take the word I, the pronoun I in verse 1, where it says, whom I love, and put an exclamation point after the I. He wants them to understand, yeah, I'm, the, I'm older than you. I've got more life experience than you, perhaps. But we're in all this thing together. I can relate. And I want to communicate. And so he doesn't merely say, whom I love. But he takes the emphatic position in the original language whom I love in truth, the aletheia, truth. And now we begin to ponder the significance of what took place that John himself recorded in that incredible encounter just prior to Christ's crucifixion. Pilate, I wonder if he's taunting Jesus. In John 18.37, then Pilate said to him, See your king. You can, almost, you can almost see a smile starting to fold at the edge of Pilate's lips. Jesus answered, brilliantly. He didn't say merely, I am a king. He turned it on Herod. You say, you say that I am a king. In other words, he is using Pilate's own words to testify to Pilate's own heart. Then adds, For this purpose I was born. For this purpose I have come into the world. To bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. And then Pilate responds, what is truth? The appropriate question would have been to ask, who is truth? Because Jesus is bearing witness to himself. 
And he's using Herod's, Pilate's rather, own words to bear witness to who Jesus is. Jesus turns it, you see, on Pilate. But what he's really doing is turning it toward himself, Jesus. We explore this whole idea then of truth. During the time in which the wall of Berlin was coming down, Vaclav, Havel, philosopher turned prime minister of the Czech Republic. Truth prevails for those who live in truth, he would pen. As the people of modern-day Czech Republic would cry out in the midst of the communist regime, we are, we are people of truth, and they are the people of lies and propaganda. And Alexander Solzhenitsyn and his Nobel speech would be quoted as saying, one word of truth outweighs the entire world. And as Havel had predicted the outcome of the fall of communism, in his essay, The Power of the Powerless, had penned, for the crust presented by the life of lies is made of strange stuff. As long as it seals off hermetically the entire society, it appears to be made of stone, appears. But the moment someone breaks through in one place, when one person cries out, the emperor is naked, quote, unquote, when a single person breaks the rules of the game, exposing it as a game, Everything suddenly appears in another light, and the whole crust seems then to be made of a tissue on the point of tearing and disintegrating uncontrollably in the face of truth. This is what happens when someone becomes spiritually convicted of their sinful nature, and they encounter the real truth, the second member of the Trinity who died in our place for our sins. Truth is solid, substantial. The presbyteros to the Kyria, the elect lady and her technia, spiritual pediatrics unfolding here, whom I love in truth. And there's a worn wispy, and as he's looking out over his congregation, he states memorably, truth without love is brutality. Love without truth is hypocrisy. Truth combined with love is real Christianity. And then the Apostle John, who is still with us in verse 1, and we're with him in verse 1, who not only has said whom I love in truth, but then he brings more to the table. And not only I, but also all who know the truth. Again, he's saying we're in this thing together. This is fellowship-based. This is not being exclusive. The elder is saying, I'm with you. I'm connected with you. I'm, I am part of this fellowship, this family of believers. But all, also all, who know the truth, and what is interesting about the phrase who know the truth is that it comes from particular tense in the original language. If drawn out, could read, 
all who have come to know the truth. In other words, those who are born again. Are you? What he's doing at this point, then, is that he is using the idea of the family of faith. The elder to the elect lady and her children. And he wants to be able to communicate truth and love within a family context. March 6th, 1969. Ron Greenfield lying in a rice paddy in Vietnam after losing both legs in a grenade explosion. During a one-year rehabilitation period, his fiancée abandoned him, saying that she needed a quote-unquote whole man. AP picked up on it. Ron learned by cable news network of two boys born in, born in Moscow who were twin amputees. No prospective adoptive parents willing to take the boys. Bitterness entered their hearts due to continual rejection. So you know what Ron did? Ron flew to Moscow, qualified for adoption, walked into the orphanage to meet the boys. And they were skeptical and bitter, unwilling until Ron removed his artificial limbs, revealing his stubs. A familiar sight to both of them. The connection was immediate. Ron hugged them and said, you're in my family now, quote, unquote. See why we're calling this the family of believers? Truth without love is brutality. Love without truth is hypocrisy. But boy, the world takes note. When truth and love are combined, you got real Christianity. You can address the issue of tolerance, the issue of truth, and address the issue of transitions in our culture by simply taking verse 1 and letting it explode in your life experience. Is that happening? Now, once you've made your way through verse 1, you've got verses 2 and 3 to come your way. Because once we've established that this combination effect, Truth and love. Truth expressed in love produces this first aspect. It distinguishes the family of believers. Then in verse 2, truth expressed in love, second of all, indwells the family of believers. And that's the word that's being used here in the original. Because in verse 2, it goes on to say, because of the truth that abides or, in some translations, indwells. Or, other translations, resides. But where does it reside? 
in us, and furthermore, will be with us forever. Now, this word here, abides, we don't use it as well as perhaps uh, others such as dwell or remain, so on. But it carries with it the idea now of, of settling down. Resides. Truth resides in us. Now, we're in transition as we inch further into August. And one of the dynamics this time for congregations across the nation is that students who have graduated from high school, many of whom are now packing up and getting ready to head off to various colleges and universities. Some time ago, in August, I had somebody who was a resident advisor contact me. They're known as RAs. And he said, I heard that when you were a student, you became a resident advisor. And I'm starting off on a college, Christian college campus, and can you give me any counsel on how I handle it when parents and their student are about to say goodbye? He's asking a tough question. Transitions are hard. prayed over that email, and then responded, yes, I've been both an RA and an RD, resident director. And I asked the question, can I share with you a story? Hit send button, and then he responded with, it sounds like a typical message of yours with, filled with stories. And I said, i got a story for you. When I was an RA, I had a well-known pastor of this nation, his wife, with their firstborn, and they were about to say goodbye. And the mom was getting choked up, and it was getting tough. And so I said, all I did is I, I asked, can I pray? And so I put a hand on her shoulder and a hand on their son's shoulder, and I said, dear Lord, Thank you now for Josh, that was his name. Remind us that residence in the storm is temporal. Your residence in Josh and his parents' hearts is eternal. We give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. And I walked away. Older people get put in residential facilities when they can no longer function at their own residence. College students take up residence in residential dorms. What we have to bear in mind in the whole realm of the residential, we have to be able to distinguish between the temporal and the eternal of life. We cannot make the temporal eternal, otherwise we never let go of our students. 
we never let go of our parents. Nor can we make the eternal temporal. We've got to see how all this fits together via the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus Christ where the tomb, the empty tomb, validates what Christ did and introduces the temporal living quarters to the eternal truth of who Jesus Christ truly is. He brings the eternal into the temporal, invades our space, and gives us proper perspective about life because of the truth that, number one, abides, resides, indwells, lives, where? In us. That's his residential hall, you see. But then adds, and will be with us forever. And now you have connected not only truth and love, but temporal and eternal. And you've got now an RA moment unfolding in your hands because you've got opportunity day in, day out to talk with people that are struggling with transition. And you become their residential advisor. They're trying, to make, they're trying to make the temporal last. They're not taking the eternal into account. But you put hands on shoulders, you see, and you bring together the temporal and the eternal through the cross and the resurrection of Jesus Christ and put everything in proper perspective. And what this culture desperately needs is true perspective. Now once, we've worked through how truth expressed in love, number one, distinguishes the family of believers, and number two, indwells the family of believers. Then you reach thirdly, grace, mercy, and peace will be with us. From God the Father and from Jesus Christ the Father's Son, in truth, in love. And thirdly now, truth expressed in love assures the family of believers. And watch how the assurances begin to unfold. He connects grace, mercy, and peace. Grace. Getting what we don't deserve. Mercy. Not getting what we do deserve. Peace. Taking the brokenness and creating a new sense of wholeness. Hebrew word, Old Testament, shalom. Irene, New Testament and Greek word. Merge together to create a new sense of harmony. Now work it backwards. Peace. That's the character of our salvation. Mercy, that's the need for our salvation. Grace, that's the provision of our salvation. And John himself, in his opening account of his gospel, as we've been trying to connect the gospel of John to the epistle, first epistle of John to now second epistle of John, would have introduced this idea as well. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we've seen his glory. Glory is of the only Son from the Father, full of 
grace and truth. Grace, mercy, and peace will be with us from God the Father and from Jesus Christ, the Father's Son. So now he has offered you a dual from. From the first member of the Trinity, from the second member of the Trinity, and we would add and applied by the third member of the Trinity who inspires the Apostle John to write this. And then once we have gotten our arms around this, we're able to say this is expressed in truth and in love. And now we find ourselves assured in the transitions of life with the truth that lasts not only through life, but for all eternity. As one of the wisest men I've ever had the privilege to know stood in front of his congregation and opened with these words, Truth without love is brutality. Love without truth is hypocrisy. But truth combined with love is real Christianity. Let's stand together. Now, Father, for the one who has been coming or has just arrived, processing these worship services, struggling with what's real, always been thinking up until now that there's my truth and there's your truth, and now all of a sudden I'm being confronted with true truth. What do I do with all this? Speak to that heart. May he or she find themselves dealing with the truthfulness of our sinful nature. Repent of it. In putting true faith in the true Savior, Jesus Christ. And then being an avenue of expressing this truth through love into the hearts and the minds of each and every one that he or she knows. For all of us, Father, who have come to saving faith in Jesus Christ, pray that this will distinguish us. May we be aware of the fact that it resides in us. May your truth expressed in your love assure us now may we use this to impact others for your glory. Praying all this now in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you.